Hello and welcome to ContraPulse. This is Julie Valamont. This episode, I sit down with Dave Langford. Dave is a longtime New England dance fiddler and guitarist who has performed all over New England, the United States, and beyond. He combines multiple styles of fiddling with fierce energy and drive. Dave helped to found and has been an integral part of numerous diverse bands, including Lazy Boys, Big Bandemonium, The Latter-day Lizards, and Stomp Rocket. For 20 years, Dave also performed with the mega fiddle band Child's Play after purchasing his fiddle from Bob Childs in 1987. Dave started fiddle at the relatively late age of 18 and then mixed university-based classical training with workshops and lessons including attending weeks at the Augusta Heritage Arts Workshop in Elkins, West Virginia, where he was smitten with Irish, old-time, and French-Canadian music. In our conversation, Dave tells us of his teenage years in Connecticut, where he learned to square dance and met Ralph Sweet, and how his journey as a fiddle player began with a spur-of-the-moment impulse to buy a fiddle that he saw on the wall of a music shop. He tells stories from the days of big bandemonium and child's play, and we talk about some of the creative process behind his various bands. We explore his identity as a New England-style fiddler and the way that he has combined multiple fiddling influences to create his unique style. As a bonus, Dave plays fiddle and guitar throughout to demonstrate his playing style, including his special fiddle strum, and he plays a few tunes for us. Hope you enjoy. Langford and welcome to ContraPulse. Hi, Julie. I'm so happy to see you. Happy to see you as well. Where are you right now? Are you at home in Arlington? I'm at home in Arlington. Yep. We just had Thanksgiving. How was your holiday? Holiday was was very good, very quiet. Yeah. Did you used to play dances around Thanksgiving? And I saw uh, on Facebook, a lot of nostalgia for like the night before Thanksgiving dance and things like that. Yeah, there are a few different events that happened uh, before Thanksgiving. One specifically, I remember, was uh, Steve Zakon Anderson would also would always do um, something in Peterborough. I think that was the night mm-hmm. before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So fun. I mean, Steve likes to call and he likes to cook and he likes to organize dances. So maybe Thanksgiving is one of his favorite holidays. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so you get everything all in one. Well, I, I, um, you know, I know you as a fiddler and when I used to live in Boston area, um, but I would just love to start from the very beginning as to how you got started playing fiddle and how you ended up playing for contra dances. And I think of you as someone who's been in a, a lot of different kinds of bands over the years. That's true. And uh, yeah, <laughs> a wide variety. Absolutely. From, you know, like the Latter-day Lizards and Lazy Boys, I remember seeing a few times, but then also Child's Play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I was just reminiscing about Big Bandemonium. I used to dance to Big Bandemonium all the time. Such a fun band. That is an amazing band. It was amazing to be part of. And now you have Stomp Rocket. Indeed. <laughs> with Glenn Loper and Bethany Wakeman from another, Maine. Another wonderful band. Really enjoying yeah, it. In fact, I saw those guys last weekend. And we, we got together. No and, way. Yes, we got together and uh, and spent the day playing. And uh, we're we're, uh, we have a little project we're working on. I won't say a lot about it, but um, but uh, we had a great a great day working together. Oh, that's so exciting! I miss them. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> jealous of how you come up with tunes and what it sounds like and what your project's going to be. But I won't. No spoilers. We'll have to wait to find out together <laughs> what it is. That's right. <laughs> So how did it all begin? Um, so uh, it all started really before I was born. Uh, when my mom was pregnant with me, uh, my parents went to the New England Folk Festival. Nefa. So I was there actually bef- before I was even uh, before I was even born. Wow. Um, and uh, and in those days, also, my mom and dad were uh, going to Ralph Sweet's Powder Mill Barn in Hazardville and taking square dance lessons. Mm-hmm. And then once the kids started coming, and there's three of us, um, they, they really got out of that. And they didn't do very much of that. Although, when we were growing up, we used to go to the house of a guy named Chet Case who had dances in his basement. And uh, there was, it was very informal. He was, he was a caller and I think it was recorded music. Uh, And (laughs) in his basement, there was about a pillar every six feet. (laughs) So the dancing was, (laughs) was challenging, but it was very fun. Um, And uh, Dick Tracy, who was, Becky Tracy's dad was part of that scene as well. So Becky and I figured that we were probably there at the same time, although we were both been kids and Becky's younger than me. So we don't remember each other, but, uh, but it's both something we remember doing as kids. Um, so uh, the next thing that happened for me in terms of music and dance was uh, I got involved in a teen square dance club in uh, South Windsor, Connecticut, which is where, um, where I lived uh, during high school. And there was five towns that, um, that, that formed this teen square dance group. And it was all teenagers. There were no adults involved except for the caller 
who was a guy named Don Swift, who who loved our group. He loved that teenagers wanted to square dance. Um, and he was <laughs> he was a fantastic guy. He was a great caller. Once again, all recorded music, and we learned all the standard square dance moves, including, you know, dip and dive and um, uh, kind of some some advanced square dance moves. And he, um, uh, he, he very occasionally he couldn't make it um, and he would get a substitute caller. And so that's the first time I met Ralph Sweet was he would come and call for our teen square dance club, um, which uh, I think I'm not sure if I said was called the five village teens. Hmm. Uh, so during uh, sort of before that time, I actually started playing trumpet when I was about nine and I played trumpet for a number of years and, and uh, played in, you know, band and marching band and stuff like that. And then when I was about 13, I started playing guitar uh, and then I started to sing and I got together with another guy and we would go and do coffee houses and, and different kinds of kind of small folk venues um, as a, as a duo. And then when I was 18 and I was out of high school uh, and I was working at a factory job before I, before I went to college, um, I was in a music store and it was really just, uh, I was there with some friends and we were killing time before we were doing something else. And I looked at this wall where there was a fiddle hanging and I walked up to it and I looked at the price tag and it was 50 bucks. And so I looked in my wallet and I actually had 50 bucks and change. So just on impulse, for almost no reason that I can think of, I, I bought this fiddle. It's not something I had been thinking about doing. It was just kind of spur of the moment. I just said, I'm going to buy this thing. And, and the guys that are with me were all like, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm just buying this fiddle. <laughs> and uh, they thought it was pretty funny. Uh, so then I, I started, uh, you know, I, I didn't know anything. So I, you know, I already knew uh, how to play guitar, how to play trumpet. I could read music. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, I went to a local fiddler whose name was Will Welling and started taking some lessons from him. Uh, and then he moved away from, uh, from Connecticut and I started taking lessons from his partner, uh, Bill Wallach, who's a mandolin player. Um, mm -hmm. and then I met a guy named Max Kabrick who came to my parents' house to tune the piano and he saw my fiddle case in the corner and he said, whoa, what do you got there? And I said, well, that's a, that's a, that's a violin. And he said, oh, can I see? And so we opened it up and, um, and he strummed it a little bit and then he took it apart and put it back together and it sounded way better. And, and, uh, and I thought, wow, this guy's pretty cool. And uh, he said, well, you know, if you want to take some lessons, come to my shop and, you know, I can teach you some things. And uh, so I did take some lessons with him and he, he mostly taught kids. So we played out of these kind of intermediate violin books like Wolfheart. <laughs> and uh, and and um, so that was great. And I learned a lot from him. Uh, and at that point, I started going to 
school at the the Ward College, which is part of the University of Hartford. And um, and I started taking lessons with a guy named Abraham Mishkind, who was uh, a, a concertmaster in the Hartford Symphony and, um, you know, a classical violin teacher and uh, taught at the Hart School of Music at the University of Hartford. Um, so I studied with him for uh, a couple of years and that was, you know, learned a lot. Um, but I was still also learning fiddle tunes and playing some with Bill Wallach and um, and and uh, and it, and also during that time, I started going to contra dances, and I went to a dance where Ralph Sweet was calling, and he saw my. I happened to have my fiddle case because I just had a lesson or something, and he saw my fiddle case and said, "Oh, you you play the fiddle?" And I said, "Yep," and he said, "Well, do you want to you want to come out to my barn and 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 play you know play play with my band some night?" And Aww. I said, "Yeah, sure, <laughs> that sounds great." And so I started working with Ralph, and um, he he liked to 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 work with kind of young players who who weren't very developed because he wanted you to play a certain way, and so he liked to be mm -hmm. able to kind of mold what you were doing. Uh, and so um, so I worked with him quite a bit for for many years, just doing uh, dances at at the barn, and then all over all over Connecticut. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that was, that was fantastic. Um, and, and during that time, actually, he hired me to, uh, to do a, a, a dance. Um, and he said, there's going to be, there's going to be a couple of people there, uh, and, uh, plant playing piano and George playing flute. And I said, okay. And when we got there, I realized that Anne was Anne Percival, who, I grew up with in East Granby, Connecticut, before we moved to South Whoa. Windsor, and we hadn't seen each other in since I moved away from East Granby, and so Whoa. I walked in, and there was Ann Percival, and uh, so that was a really fun kind of reunion. And George was George Reynolds, who's uh, who's a great flute player and uh, all time fiddle player too. Um, so uh, anyway, getting 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 back to the uh, um, to the you know, the whole narrative of learning to play. So after University of Hartford, a couple of years there in electronics school, I, I worked as a technician for about a year in electronics technician, and I was continuing to play. And I, um, I, I had this feeling that I, I just wanted to be a better fiddle player. And I thought, unless I really focus on this and really dedicate myself to it, I don't think I'm going to get there. Um, so I came up with this plan to, um, to go to the University of Connecticut, uh, because my girlfriend was there and, uh, and, and, um, and they've got a pretty good music department. And so I went there and, uh, and I auditioned for music school <laughs> and, uh, I, I auditioned for a, a cellist and a, and a violist and, uh, played the accolade violin concerto and and played it really really terribly because I I never got anywhere really with classical violin despite you know a fair amount of study just really from starting so late mm -hmm. and uh and so they listened to me play for a while and then they kind of stopped me and they said how long have you been playing the violin and I said oh three years and they said <laughs> well 
you've got some spirit. Okay. <laughs> and wow. Then, and so, uh, so I actually uh, spent a year um, as a music student at the University of Connecticut, um, studied with um, somebody named Theodore Arm, um, who was a wonderful player and teacher, and uh, took music history and music theory and ear training, and played in quartets and played in the orchestra. And uh, it was just fantastic. Um, and uh, my plan was to do it for maybe a year or two years and then switch back into engineering. Uh, and that's what I did. So I did it for one year and then I, and then I enrolled in the, in, the, in the School of Engineering at University of Connecticut and, and got a degree in computer science, hardware and software. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so then after that, um, I moved to Boston and, and, I, and I kept at it. <laughs> I just kept playing. Mm -hmm. um, and in one tour that I, that I did uh, down south with this caller, Jim Gregory, and a couple other, uh, couple other players, um, I ran into somebody who told me about the Augusta Heritage Arts Workshop in Elkins, West Virginia. And, and he said, you know, you, you really should go to Augusta. And, and, I, and I said, why? And he said, no, don't worry about it. Just go. <laughs> <laughs> and he gave me a phone number. So I called them up and I ordered a catalog and they sent me this catalog and I looked through it and, uh, and, and Augusta was having different themed weeks all summer long. And so I, I saw one week was called dance week and I thought, wow, I like to dance. That sounds good. And then another week was called Irish week. And, and, uh, I didn't really know anything about Irish music, but I thought that sounded pretty fascinating and the teacher was somebody called Liz Carroll that I had never heard of. Oh, wow. Um, so I, th there were two, two weeks in a row. And so, you know, I, I, I went to Elkins, West Virginia and did these two weeks, um, dance week and Irish week back to back. And, uh, and it was an amazing time. And I learned a ton about, uh, about, uh, about Irish fiddling from, from Liz, who was an inspired uh, teacher and had a big, big group class, probably like, you know, maybe, uh, maybe 40 people or something like that came to, to, to work on Irish fiddle with her. Um, in subsequent years, I went back to Augusta a couple times, one for a week with Pete Sutherland. Um, also mm -hmm. incredible um, for really focused on old time music. And then uh, another uh, in 1988 for a week with Johnny Gimble, who's an amazing swing fiddle player kind of legendary swing fiddle player um so augusta was a was a incredible place to go there was a lot of amazing stuff going on um at the time in the 1980s uh um so then i just kept i you know uh, i i think my my uh philosophy about it is that you always just have to keep learning right just never mm -hmm. stop absorbing new things and um, I was lucky enough to have some workshops and a private lesson with Bruce Malski at, at one point. Uh, also, uh, that was probably more, more like the, the, the 1990s. Um, uh, so, so that's really, that's kind of how I got into it. Was the first concert dance you played uh, through Ralph Sweet at his barn? I think so. Yep. I think that's right. Yes. Yeah. 
And then how did you get involved in the dance scene in the Boston area when you moved there? Uh, well, that's a good question. <laughs> Do we remember this? <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> so uh, um, I, I did meet some musicians. <clears throat> um, I, I think... Uh, I think I just found out about dances that were happening. So at the time there was a Thursday dance at the VFW in Cambridge and there was a Monday dance at the Scout House in Concord. Um, and I think I read about those and I went to those and I started meeting people. Uh, and, I, and then, um, you know, I, I met some musicians and started getting together and playing with different people. Um, and, uh, and, and actually started forming a few bands some of which, you know, had some staying power and some of which, uh, you know, not so much. Um, I do remember one band called The Minor Planets, which I think maybe did one gig at the VFW, <laughs> which uh, included uh, Dave Surrett, Sam Bartlett, Kate Barnes, and Larry Unger. <laughs> wow, that's a fun group of people right there. <laughs> that was it. That was a that was a cool sort of one night stand band. But uh, I also had an, another band with Larry Unger and Sarah Seward, who's a guitar player, mandolin player. Mm -hmm. um, and that band was called the Nash Tones and played around quite a bit um, during that time. I also played with Debbie Knight and Jack O'Connor a bunch. Uh, I mm -hmm. think there's actually some YouTube video of us playing for some dance near the Constitution, that ship in in Boston Harbor, um, uh, with a with a with a dance group, um, so uh, yeah. So um, I I think I I also remember going to um, New Year's Eve parties at uh, um, where. Kate Barnes lived in Winchester and uh, and um, got to be good friends with um, with Kate, which uh, eventually led to the formation of the Latter-day Lizards, which was more like 1997 when that happened. Mm. Um, I was also doing a bunch of playing with uh, with Bill Tomchek. And mm. so we played he had a third Friday dance in Greenfield. And so we would do that many times it was, was with Mary Kay Brass. Um, so that was a, I think that group was called Mosaic. <laughs>
So something happened in the early 1990s, which uh, put a stop to everything for a while, which is that uh, I had quit my job to really focus on music and I was playing a lot of guitar and mm. I developed tendonitis in my left arm. Mm. So it was left forearm. And uh, I had to basically cancel all my gigs and I wasn't able to play for the next year and a half. Wow. Um, so that's the hand that you fret the chords with. Exactly. Yeah. On the guitar. <clears throat> yeah. 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 And um, so uh, it was a, it was a really challenging time. People still remember it and still ask me about it. They'll say, Oh, how's your tendonitis doing? And I'll say, mm. well, I haven't had any trouble since about 1993. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but, but it was a it was a really big deal at, at the time. I mean, it was really yeah. Uh, it was really uh, it was really tough. Um, and I did try many many different uh, sort of cures. You know, icing and heating and um, uh, uh, ibuprofen and um, I went to see a lot of different doctors um, and for, for many months I didn't use it at all. I just had it in a, in a sling. Um, wow. And I ended up, uh, I, I, early on I got some acupuncture and that didn't seem to help. Um, and then later on, like a year later, I went to a new doctor and that doctor said, well, have you tried acupuncture? And I said, yeah, it was quite a while ago. And, and he said, well, acupuncture is better for, for chronic problems and you should really try it again. So I went to uh, an acupuncturist that I, that I knew who I was friends with, uh, with her family and it cured me completely in a, over a period of about three months. Um, it That's was just incredible. It was really amazing. Yeah. So I started with, you know, this level of pain that was in my forearm for, um, for, you know, for a year. And, and then as she treated me, uh, the pain just lessened and lessened and, and very steadily until it was just gone. Was that uh, affecting your other daily life activities too? Very much so. So, uh, yeah. because I had, I had, I had quit my job <laughs> so, yeah. um, as a, as a computer programmer. Um, and so when I, I did start, I found some work uh, for a, a guy that made muffler software and all he wanted me to do was read the programs and find problems with them. You didn't, so I didn't have to do any typing. So that was great. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh -huh. But when I, and I also uh, learned to use uh, voice recognition software um, mm -hmm. a, a bit as well. Uh, so, yeah, so that was, uh, that was a, a challenging time. When I got back into playing, when I started, um, when I very first started playing fiddle again after being injured, I learned to play just touching the strings. Like I didn't press the strings at all. And I played mm -hmm. that I played like that for something like three months and uh, it sounds terrible <laughs> because if you're not yeah. pressing the strings, it just sounds like bad harmonics, you know, or something. Yeah. And, but it was, uh, 
it was a it was a great way to start. And then I just started pressing a little harder and a little harder until I was pressing just hard enough. And then I and I and I kept it there, and um, and it actually improved my fiddle playing quite a bit. Um, that hmm. that to have that that lighter touch. People people who heard me play after you know after not playing for a long time would say, you know, you you sound better. How is that? You haven't been playing. <laughs> Uh, but and and I I believe it was you know it was kind of learning to play again very with a very light touch, and when I went back to guitar I started playing dadgad because uh, you you don't need you can you can play in dadgad using kind of less fingers you don't have to do bar chords and and like that. Yeah, for our listeners, dadgad is D A D G A D tuning, and it has a lot of open strings. And basically, almost any shape sounds kind of good. <laughs> so you don't have to like, like um, doing bar chords and standard tuning can be hard on the hands. At least it was for me. Exactly. And in yes. dad, in dadgad, the shapes are easier. You don't have to fret as many strings at once, and you don't have to contort your hand into all these weird positions unless you want to. You certainly can if you want to, and people do. But you don't have to, right? Yeah, exactly. And that, so there's one finger chords and two finger chords that that all sound fantastic. So you can do a lot um, and, and, and kind of use very little, you know, uh, of your hand muscles. Um, and, and since I was worried about re-injury, um, I just really wanted to take it easy for, for a while. Yeah. Did it change your guitar playing for dances when you switch from standard to dadgad? Like it's a different, does it change the way you think about chords and harmony? Yeah, it does. Um, it certainly does. I mean, because the in Dadgad, there's a lot of harmonies that um, that just come from uh, from how the how the strings are are tuned. There's a lot of kind of interesting chord tones that work their way in into more more standard chords. Um, but uh, I, I so I, I think it definitely did changed how I played guitar for dances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a sound that's very common in Irish music these days, you know, but not so much in old time music. Um, but there are a lot of contra musicians who play dadgad guitar or standard, you know, there's, it's like, they're both welcome in that in contra dancing, because we're sort of uh, across genre tradition. Absolutely. I'm so glad you recovered. I mean, there are so many musicians who get repetitive use injuries and some of them are from music. Some of them just happen in the rest of their life. Like I think there's also a lot of overlap between confidence musicians or callers and people who do computer science or typing kind of activities and other things. Mm -hmm. So there have been folks who have overuse injuries related to being at a computer all day that then affects their ability to play. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I had one uh, computer job where uh, we were using a piece of software that that where the interface was almost all mousing, and I injured my right wrist doing that, and wow. so I I'm right-handed, but I switched to mousing with my left hand, uh, and and I still mouse left-handed today. Wow, to save your right hand, that would be hard at first. 
<laughs> but you know, there are people who have injured their hands and then have had to learn to play fiddle backwards, you know, or guitar backwards and like retaught themselves to play fiddle the other way, you know? Yeah. Stuff very true. Happened. Yeah. Very true. So that was, so, so that was early 1990s. And, um, mm -hmm. I think, uh, to kind of continue with the yes <laughs> with onward the, <laughs> we still have a lot of your life left we haven't but, even cracked the surface yet yeah, there you go um yeah so continue the the the, the chronology so um so it, it, so in the 90s that's well uh, child's play started in 1988 that was the first child's play um concert that I participated in. It was maybe the second mm. one that ever happened. And that was in the Boston area. And there was 13 fiddle players. So for um, for those folks that, that have not heard of Child's Play, um, Child's Play is uh, a, an ensemble made up of a lot of people who play fiddles made by Bob Childs, who lived in Cambridge at that time and lives in Arlington now. Um, and Bob has made quite a large number of fiddles. And uh, the, the group Child's Play has gone kind of up and down in size over the years. But that So that first year, 1988, first year in Boston anyway, um, there was 13 fiddlers. And, uh, and, and kind of at, at its zenith, <laughs> I, think, I think Child's Play had like 24 fiddlers. Um, and wow. also maybe uh, 10 or 12 backup musicians, including, you know, piano, guitar, a couple of cellos, mm. and including some dancers. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. they put on these kind of massive shows with 30 plus people and people doing sound and lights and, you know, stage manager. And um, so Child's Play was a, for a while, it was a very large uh, enterprise. Um, but it was a it was a really wonderful thing to be um, part of, and there's uh, lots of fantastic and amazing musicians that um, you know that I got to uh, to play with over many years of doing child's play. Um, and mm -hmm. we uh, one year we went to Sweden and we uh, played wow. at the Falun Folk Music Festival in 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 Falun, Sweden, and got to hear lots of fantastic. Swedish fiddling and got to know some some great fiddlers and uh, and and some of those fiddlers, um, like half a dozen came back and did concerts with us, um, you know, uh, uh, the next year. Um, so uh, there was a lot of really amazing things that happened uh, over the years. I did Child's Play uh, for about 20 years. And so around 2007 or so, um, uh, I, I, I stopped doing it because it just got to be too much with my, with my work schedule. Um, but, mm -hmm. uh, um, but it was, it was a wonderful thing to be part of, um, child's play made a number of recordings and, uh, I played on a couple of those and that was really fun. So, uh, yeah. So somewhere along the line, you clearly made the switch from your $50 fiddle to about <laughs> child's fiddle at some point. I did. That was 1987. And um, Bob actually made that fiddle for somebody else. And hmm. uh, and I was at his house one day and he had just finished it. And it was it, it had dried. And and he said, Dave, you want to try this new fiddle I just made? And, and uh, I said, OK. Um, and I and I played it and 
it blew me away. And I, I said, if for whatever reason, this person that ordered this fiddle doesn't buy it, then I will buy it. You know, you've got a buyer. And so um, uh, that actually came to pass. The other person didn't, didn't end up taking it. And, uh, and, and I met Bob for lunch one day and gave him a check and he gave me the fiddle and, and, uh, um, it, it's, uh, uh, it's a wonderful instrument. I think it's, it's a very kind of, uh, has kind of a low sonority. It's kind of has a dark, dark sound, um, mm. and a beautiful low end. Occasionally people, you know, will come up to the stage and say, you know, who's playing viola up here? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I, I, I really love it. And I've, I've just never, uh, I think in the first 10 years I played, I probably had, um, eight or 10 fiddles, right. You know, I was like, as you, as you get better, you want a better instrument. So I kept trading up mm -hmm. and trading up. And, and then when I, when I got this fiddle from, from Bob, uh, that was, that was it for me. So this fiddle has been your companion for a long time. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been it's, what the adventures it has had. I'm sure it would have a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> it's traveled the world for sure. And <laughs> <laughs> done all sorts of crazy things. So. Yeah. yeah. How did you know Bob? Sounds like you knew him before you bought one of his fiddles. I did. Well, and it was just uh um I don't remember exactly how I met Bob. Yeah. Um, but it That's was kind uh, of how kind the of, scene works. Yeah, exactly. It was just uh, you know, the whole um you know, just uh, all of the different folks that were involved with the scene at that time. Um, uh, yeah, I, I don't remember exactly how we met.
about your fiddle style because i i think of you as someone who plays lots of different kinds of music including for english country dance you know not even like dance like contra dance tunes um you know you play a little old time you play a little irish play whatever else is on the menu yeah um, what is your like your home style how do you just how do you think about your fiddle style uh i think i'm a new england style fiddle player that's how i think of myself um uh-huh. but Oh, what I think about that is, is that part of being uh, a New England style fiddle player um, for dances is that you, um, you gravitate toward lots of different styles. And, um, and even I think in the 1980s, so um, obviously, uh, you know, Yankee Ingenuity was, 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 playing Monday night dances. It was a really hot dance at that time, really crowded and really popular. And, um, and those folks were, were, were basically seeking out different styles of, of tunes and different styles of music. Um, And, uh, and, and when you worked with callers, uh, that's how you, that's how you worked. So, the caller would say, play something driving, like an old time tune, you know, or play something bouncy, like a French Canadian tune, or play something smooth, like an Irish tune. So that it was basically the language that a lot of different callers used to describe the feel that they wanted for the dance. Um, and so, uh, so, um, so that's what I did. I just pursued all those styles of music. I don't I don't think of myself as an old time fiddler or an Irish fiddler or a French Canadian fiddler, although I, you know, I try to um, I try to sort of um, bring out elements of those styles when I when I play. Um, but but I really think of myself as a as a, a, a New England player. That's really my my roots. Mm-hmm. Do you play New England tunes? Absolutely, yeah. I love I love New England tunes like uh, um, "Temperance Reel," for example. Is uh, that's something in the Latter Day Lizards we we call uh, the old way, and <laughs> <laughs> so and and more often than not, when we're just starting the night, we'll say, "Well, how do you want to start?" And somebody will say, "Oh, let's start old way," <laughs> and that's Temperance Reel. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but you know, uh, growling old man, grumbling old woman. Uh, I love to play that tune. Uh, there's just so many, like any, anything out of the new England fiddlers repertoire. It's like, that's, uh, uh, the, that's really the, the Bible. Um, uh, and, and also, uh, chestnuts like money musk and, 
um, Petronella, Opera Reel, um, tunes like that. It's interesting how like having an identity as a New England fiddler can mean a few different things. Like it could be someone who plays only New England tunes Mm -hmm. in the old style, or it could be someone who like plays contra dances and plays all these different genres, which I feel like is very common in contra dancing now. Like that is now the quintessential New England fiddler is somebody who does a little bit of everything. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I and I it's do really think that 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 was encouraged by by callers, right? Because they mm-hmm. that's you know they they um, you know the the callers know that part of having a successful evening is to have variety in the dances and variety in the music, and mm-hmm. and so um, you know I think a, a good caller will will try to to get that from from a band, right? Try to try to, uh, you know, get some different moods from, from the band. So you think as bands started incorporating Irish tunes and other genres into their playing, the callers started picking up on that and kind of changing what they were asking for or started matching dances and tunes that way? Yep. I do think that. Yeah. And, and I, and I, I think that that started uh, in in the 1980s. I could be I could be wrong about that, um, but but I uh, um, I think that was all happening in the 1980s. Yeah, I mean that timing seems right. From you know people talking about like the early days of Swallowtail or um, Wild Asparagus or Fresh Fish or you know a lot of other bands that were bringing in these others genres of tunes like Irish music into the contra dance repertoire. Yes, definitely. Yep. I remember um, one of the years that I went to Augusta, uh, um, uh, Swallowtail was there uh, and, and um, uh, Critton, there was a band called Critton Hollow that there as well. And, uh, um, Critton Hollow did a did did a sort of fantastic spoof on Swallowtail, which <laughs> where where they 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 tried to be like Critton Hollow plays old time music and that's pretty much all they play. So they just sort of hunger down and play the tune. Um, but then they they uh, they worked out some tune where they they worked in all sorts of uh, different different things like, um, you know, tearing paper as a, as a transition, like the sound of tearing paper to go from one time <laughs> through the tune to the other, or, uh, or, you know, banging trash can lids together, or they just came up with all these different, and it, it was, it was a very loving kind of, um, kind of spoof on, on Swallowtail. It was, it was fantastic. <laughs> so would they actually like tear paper in front of a microphone or were yeah, they absolutely, yeah. these sounds? No, wow. no, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they would bang a trash can like in real life during a transition. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, because obviously country music also switched to this kind of high drama mode that we occupy a lot of our time in today, you know, which it didn't necessarily used to be. 
like exactly. exciting transitions and dramatic tune shifts and all sorts yeah, of stuff yeah. like that. Well, I think there's a lot of parts of the country where people play, um, you know, old time music and, and, uh, and, and it's, it, it doesn't change a lot the the, you know, they start the tune and they just play the tune as many times as the dance goes. And, and then it's, you know, and then it's done. Um, and then, so, uh, you know, when you, when you go to, uh, a part of the country like that with an, with a new England band, who's doing all sorts of dynamics and all sorts of different styles and moods, um, people, people really do enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, when thinking about your fiddle style, since you, you know, kind of play all these different styles of tunes in a sort of new England way, Mm -hmm. how has that affected your fiddle playing over the years? Like, do you know, like, Oh, I do this thing from old time and I do this thing in my bowing from Quebecois. Like, do you think about it in that way or a little bit? Yeah. So there's, there's things from, uh, from old time fiddling. Uh, for example, what, uh, one of the things I learned from Bruce Molsky was, uh, to play near the frog a lot, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's a place that, that a lot of old time players sort of played down at the bottom of the bow like that. Um, and you get a lot of power at the frog cause that's where, that's where the, you know, the, your hand is. And so it's the weight of your hand and the weight of the bow is all there as opposed to at the tip where you just really kind of have the, the tip of the bow, which is really light. So, um, so I, I do think that I, uh, um, at, you know, after I played more and more old time music, I started playing, you know, down near the frog more. And it also allows you to, to do very rhythmic things with the bow. So you can mm. sort of change the, your, your, your hand is like a fulcrum and you can sort of change the position of your, of your hand very easily, um, when you, when you're close to the frog. And that allows you to do some some very rhythmic and kind of almost percussive things with the bow when when you're doing accompaniment, or yeah. when you're or, Which, or even when you're playing the tune. Yeah, because your fiddle style is so fun. It's like a, just a powerhouse. You're just chugging along, and it is very <laughs> rhythmic. And you accompany things in this whole fun way that I don't see a lot of other people do. Like, first of all, you know, you actually strum the fiddle sometimes. You like literally turn it sideways and strum with your fingers. That's true. Um, how did where did that come from? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I I, uh, I don't recall how I started doing that but I I I mean I I agree it's um it's something that I do a lot now and it's not something that I see a lot of other fiddle players doing um and what I do is actually I use one finger so it's just my index finger on the right hand and so uh on the way down the the nail is is hitting the strings and on the way back up it's just the soft part um but I, I try to do it uh, in, in a way, uh, it's almost like a, a banjo uke sound. It's like banjo uke mm. goes, you know, waka waka, <laughs> that, kind of, <laughs> that, that kind of sound. I, I could actually demonstrate a little bit. Yeah, demonstration time. Besides, <laughs> we have to hear this fiddle that we've heard so much about, right? 
so um uh so yeah so this is just this is really just one finger just my index finger and it's strumming um on kind of over the fingerboard not not down where the um i i wouldn't strum where the bow goes because that's covered with rosin and so you mm. for one thing is you get rosin all over your finger but uh, <laughs> but it it also um it, it works you know just as you need rosin to play with the bow rosin is bad when you're trying to strum so i'm playing kind of uh, more more up the fingerboard sort of to where where the neck meets the body of the fiddle with your fiddle and standard tuning do you ever cross tune it uh i do um i do cross tune to play certain tunes so i'll, I'll cross tune to a uh or um cross tune in kind of a, a a d tuning or in a g tuning um and and really uh strumming for strumming it doesn't really matter <laughs> How the how the fiddle is <laughs> is tuned, um, because you're really uh -huh. just you're just playing a lot of kind of octaves and uh, and chord tones, and so yeah, you can, you can do that. You know, you can, you can strum no matter how the fiddle's tuned. Mm. That's cool. Um, how about other? things that have affected like your bowing do you play with a lot of double stops like they would in old-time music i do yep yep absolutely and that's that's part of uh kind of uh accompaniment uh as as well and then playing like french canadian tunes do you change your bowing at all when you do that or like irish tunes yes so one thing that uh it's kind of a small thing that that I learned from um, from from some workshops with Lisa Ornstein was that uh, repeated bows on the same string are um, can kind of uh, mimic the sound of the accordion. So accordions do that Whoa. a lot when they when they just play yeah. you know bop 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 like you know one two three four and but it's all the same. It's all the same note, you know, but it's a very accordionistic thing. Um, and yeah. so uh, I play, for example, Selena um, is mm -hmm. a tune that uh, a Canadian tune that I learned from Lisa Ornstein. And and it uh, and, and it has that at the end of the phrase, you know, you just play one, two, three, four. And it's all the same note. And it's four separate, four separate, very kind of percussive bows. Can you play that for us? Uh, sure. I love that tune, by the way. Such a happy tune. Let's see if I'm in tune here.
you know that that reminds me of the sound of those like older recordings from Quebec, like the old style ones. Yeah, such yep. a great sound. It's a good sound, and it and it's really great for dancing because it's super rhythmic. So you can really mm-hmm. kind of you can really stop to it. <laughs> so when you are picking out tunes like we could talk about repertoire and this is whole conversation we could have about like do you need one tune or do you want a medley and how do you do right. it and how do you pick tunes yeah um i know that watching you and your various bands you all like to have fun with one tune for a long time which is really fun um so t- tell us a little bit about your thinking and approach to that well um I think the one tune ethic <laughs> came out of the uh, <laughs> <laughs> came out of the the Latter Day Lizards um, when when I started. That's and, you and Kate Barnes and Bill Tomchak, just right. for reference for folks. Yes. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And um, so when we started playing, which was in 1997, um, we were doing more medleys. So, and I think a lot of bands at the time were just played played medallies um and but so but that band is very improvisatory so everybody Mm -hmm. likes to improvise and um and have a good time with a tune and what we found was that more and more as we played together we weren't getting to the second tune and we never got to a third tune (laughs) and it you know so we would start playing and then we'd be having a great time and then all of a sudden the caller would say okay three more times and we'd say well we didn't do our second tune and uh and after a while we just kind of gave up on the second tune (laughs) so (laughs) occasionally occasionally we do play what we will play a second tune but uh but but mostly we, we just play one um, we have two recordings uh, with that band. The first one was in 2002, um, Sleeping on a Rock. And that is a little more uh, kind of, there's there's more medleys on that recording. Um, mm-hmm. And there's there's a few single tunes, but, uh, but, but we did do uh, a number of medleys. And then uh, on the, the second recording, which we made in 2008, uh, we, I, I don't, I, I don't think there's even one medley on there. I'd have to look wow. at it, but there's, you know, there's not, there's not many. Um, so, uh, yep, I think you know we, but I, I think as a result of that, um, I think we we got better at creating lots of different moods with one tune. And mm-hmm. um, kind of lots of uh, sections and and lots of lots of different feels, so that um, so that it's not uncommon for people to to come up to us after a dance and say, "What was that second tune?" <laughs> and it was really <laughs> yeah. it was really all just. I love one. when you change tunes in the middle. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was really just a mood change, and and it you know, and some of. Um, you know, like like any improvisation, impro- improvisational approach. You know, some of the stuff that we do works to us amazingly well, and then some of the stuff, you know, just fails. 
yeah. <laughs> and then we think, well, okay, we won't do that again. Um, but I think uh, you know, being willing to fail is is uh, is is ne- is necessary. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So imagine that you are playing Temperance Reel for ten minutes straight. What are some of the musical things? What are some of the kinds of things that might happen during that ten minutes with the three of you? Uh, so, um, you know, so first of all, not playing the melody, you know, so, mm. so we wouldn't play the, the actual tune temperance reel. We play something that resembled temperance reel and kind of had a nod to temperance reel, but was really <laughs> something else that fit the chord changes. So that's one thing. Um, another thing, uh, could be, um, trading between, for example, Bill Tomchuk and myself might, uh, you know, trade the melody back and forth or, you know, trade improvisations back and forth. Mm. Um, so that's another thing uh, that, that you could do. Um, a, a, a rhythm break, you know, one time through and everybody, there's no melody at all and everybody's just doing something rhythmic or, or you know, or, or, or sitting, sitting out that time through. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's so many things, uh, that, that you can do even, uh, you know, uh, alternate chord changes. That's another, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's something else that you might hear. Yeah. You could probably do just melody. Do you do feet while you play? I don't, um, people, yeah. I, 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 my feet do a lot when I play. Um, I was going to say, when you watch you, they're doing stuff. <laughs> they are. And, but it's, uh, it's not necessarily the, the most rhythmic stuff if you put a mic on it. So <laughs> people often ask if, if, you know, they, if I want them to, you know, like my feet and I always politely decline. Uh-huh. But uh, it, um, my, I think, uh, I do play better when I let my feet just do whatever they want to do. So, um, mm. so that's kind of where that comes from is that they're, they're just doing their own thing. Uh, but it's not necessarily super, super rhythmic. It's not like uh, classic French Canadian, you know, footwork. Yeah. They do kind of this shuffly thing, but I, I feel like playing rhythmically as a dance musician, like you're, it's obvious that you're feeling the rhythm in your whole body, you know, which is, I feel like anyone who's a good dance musician can tap into that feeling. It's not just coming out of your hands and your arms. It's like your whole body. Like it's like you're empathizing with the dancers in a way by feeling the rhythm in your body as you're playing for them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I, I it think also it looks fun. <laughs> You know, and it's like if you look up on stage and the band's having a good time and they're dancing around up there too, definitely looks fun. Um, adds to that environment. Yeah, I think that makes a, a, a big difference that, you know, uh, when, when a band is having a really, really good time, um, I, I think that makes a huge difference for for the dancers. And uh, that that definitely happens with, with the lizards for sure. And, <laughs> you know, I think... I think, uh, you know, most of the bands that I'm lucky enough to play with, we have a, we have a lot of fun. 
because that's why we're doing it. That's right. It comes with that improvisatory spirit. Thank you.
fiddling in front of dancers, what kind of things are you like paying attention to or thinking about when you're like watching the hall? If, if you do that, I don't want to imply that you have to, but a lot of fiddlers do. So I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, I'm looking for a few different things. One is um, our our tempo, right? Does it look like our people um, behind, you know, meaning, uh, you know, behind the figures or behind the beat, meaning uh, you might be playing too fast? Or is it a little plotty, meaning you might be, you know, um, playing a little bit too slow? I mean, that kind of feedback is is really... Um, you know, should come from the caller as well. And I think, you know, most callers are looking for that kind of thing. But if I, if I notice that I think maybe we're playing a little bit too fast, I'll, I'll ask the caller, you know, how's the tempo. And sometimes they'll just give you a big thumbs up and say, Nope, it's great. Don't worry. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't think I would, uh, I would try to change the tempo um, w without, collaborating with the caller on that but um but that's something and then also just look for you know are are people grooving like are they really are they really having a good time are they really into it and and that's more about you know does the tune uh is the tune matching the dance really well mm -hmm. so and that's a whole topic of uh of matching yeah i was just tunes. about to ask you <laughs> so um so i I'd say, so the way we do that for, uh, in the lizards is we, um, we, we read the dance card first of all. So the caller will bring the card over to us and then we'll, we'll, we'll just both look at it and read the figures. Uh, and then we'll say, thank you. And the caller will take the card away because they need it to teach the dance usually. Um, and then we both, think about it and we're thinking about a few different things one is obviously our repertoire you know the tunes that we know but we're also thinking about what did we just do um mm -hmm. and what part of the night are we in like is it the first half or second half or um you know say just before the break or um kind of what's what's so there's you know what's the context of um of uh of this particular dance and then we think about the figures and and that context and then usually we'll both come up with an idea and then we sort of compare notes <laughs> and uh -huh. and uh you know and and sometimes one of us will say um you know like one of us might say temperance real and somebody else says uh, you know growling old man and grumbling old woman and and uh and then one of us might say no, you're right. You know, growling and grumbling, that's that's better for this dance. Let's do that. Um, mm -hmm. Or, uh, um, you know, or many times we're thinking about the same tune. Like we we often have the same idea, you know, and and uh, and then it's great because we know we're, we've, we've probably nailed it. Um, and, you know, but everybody has off nights and on nights as well. And, so, you know, it's like some some nights I might just not be, you know, be able to coming up with any ideas and Bill might have a lot of great ideas and that's, that's fantastic. And then, you know, maybe the next night it'll be the other way around. And so, uh, um, you know, we, 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 we kind of 
kind of help each other. <laughs> yeah, that's why bands are great. Especially like when you've worked with people for a long time, you know, you have a collective brain among all of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Or sometimes we'll say to Kate, you know, we, we don't have any ideas. What do you want to do? <laughs> um yeah so um so that's really it but i think it's all it's all rooted in in the figures of of the dance and um uh and not just necessarily where the balances are you know but but just kind of the flow of the whole thing mm -hmm. like all those different things those are like you know chunky or long moves or are they walking a lot or you know all those kind of things like exactly what's yeah. the choreography like yes yeah i like it when i'm looking at the call at the card and the caller will tell me things about the storyline of the dance that i can't always see from looking at the card you know like oh you're away from your neighbor or your partner and then you get reunited later on or there's this flirty moment with your shadow or you know whatever mm -hmm. it's helpful when they say things like that because it affects what you pick yeah and that and that's i love it actually when when callers have a uh um they they they've got some kind of hint you know <laughs> like they'll come uh -huh. over and say yeah this is this is very kind of steamy you know <laughs> so <laughs> or something uh to to you know it's their idea of the the character of the dance some some callers um uh will write on the back of the card you know uh, every time they work with a different band and a different band does a different tune or a set of tunes. And so they might, you know, keep track of those on their card and say, well, other bands have done, you know, A, B or C. You could, you know, those are possible tunes that I've seen work well for this. Mm -hmm. um, Lisa Greenleaf uh, actually has spends or has spent in the past a lot of time listening to recordings that she made of, of various bands um, to the to the extent that you know she knows your repertoire pretty well, and uh, so a program from Lisa will include from for most of the the dances will include this is the tune that I want you to play, and uh -huh. we we love that because it just takes all the decision making out of it, um, and uh, she won't do that for for all of them. Like maybe uh, there'll be a couple in there. It's like your choice of this style something like that um but but a lot of the program will be there um with with uh tunes that she's you know listened to recordings of you doing at dances with her and and uh and has decided are you know are a really good fit for this dance that she's going to do and that's that's fantastic I feel like in a lot of bands, when you play a tune and say you haven't arranged it, like you've never rehearsed it or just decided it goes this way. After a while, you just kind of end up the tune falls into a way that you play it as a band. You know, like this is always going to be a happy major and this one has a funky backbeat or whatever. Um, how much do you do that? Like, it's very hard for me as a rhythm player to approach the same tune a different way every time, especially if it's the same fiddler playing it. It does. It always inspires me to want to accompany it the same way. Um, like does temperance always sound the same? Do you ever play like a bluesy temperance or, you know what I mean? Like, or do you kind of treat it the same way and improvising around it every time? Hmm. Uh, good question. I, I would say that some, tunes you could approach a very different way 
depending on, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on like a lot of the factors that we were talking about earlier, like where Mm -hmm. you are in the evening and what kind of dance it is. And um, so there are, there are certain tunes that, that you can, that, that you could give different treatments to. Um, I think for sure, if uh, when I think about temperance, like if we start the evening with that a lot, mm-hmm. um, then mm-hmm. you know often we're gonna we're gonna play it similarly from from night to night because we we want to start with a bang, you know, right? Um, and we want to start with a lot of energy and and kind of you know uh, not necessarily play it fast, but but give it a lot of energy and. Um, and 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 build it up so that by the end of it we're we're kind of you know wailing on it <laughs> so that mm-hmm. it gets people really excited for the evening right to have a to have a first uh to have like right out of the gate to start with something that that has a ton of energy and a and a ton of creativity and 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 a and and a, and a lot of contrast where you know where you really take it somewhere yeah, no, we've been talking about temperance so much. Maybe you should play it for us so uh, we could hear what it sounds like. Would you be willing to do that? Uh, I could do. I was like, we haven't even heard it yet. <laughs> I hear it in my head because I've heard you play it before, but our listeners haven't. Uh, let's see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll do do it a little bit uh, a little bit lopey or something. tune it's a good tune for sure (laughs) yeah i mean that tune's interesting because i feel like it kind of demands certain chords um but then also it doesn't like you can sub out a lot of those chords for other things or absolutely yes yeah yeah Yeah. and i like tunes like that where they they ask gently for certain chords but then you can do whatever you want so it gives you freedom you can either play it straight or you can kind of mess around with it yeah. Yeah. I think that tune is, is pretty wide open and pretty much, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different things that you could do harmonically in that tune. Yeah. I imagine if it's a tune that you play a lot with the lizards, it's got to have lots of fodder for improvisation to last you 30 years or however long you're going to keep playing this tune. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, you know, in a band like the lizards, since we've been talking about that, how many tunes are in your like regular rotation? Like, do you maybe have like, especially if you only play one tune for a lot of dances, you know, you're cutting in third, the number of tunes that you have to play. Um, is it 20, a hundred? Uh, that's a really, really good question. And I don't, I don't think I could answer it off the top of my head. I think, you know, we, we probably, 
um, in terms of regular rotation, it's it's probably maybe a few dozen. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, we we I mean we all know a lot of tunes, and yeah, uh, exactly. and so so we can kind of reach in, and there there's lots of different tunes that are um, that are uh, you know that we have and that we know. And if we get into a certain situation where we either get asked for that tune, um, like, for example, the butterfly uh, is is Hmm. not a tune that's in our regular rotation, but it's something that callers ask for from time to time because there's a specific dance choreograph to it. And so it's a slip jig. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, sure, we'll we'll play the butterfly. (laughs) Um, And then there's other tunes that have. that have unusual forms, like there might be a, you know, either a 48 bar tune uh, or a 40 bar mm-hmm. tune like Hell Broke Loose in Georgia. Um, so uh, again, a tune like we can't play Hell Broke Loose in Georgia every night because you need a, a dance, um, probably a square dance that, that uh, you know, that, that, that has a 40 bar form. But callers do have dances like that, and occasionally they'll whip around and, and ask for something like that, and then and then we say, "Oh, fun! Okay, cool. We get to, you know, we get to see what we have." So it sounds like I mean, do you keep a set list as a band? Do you... No. We used to. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the three of you, you all know so many tunes. You've been playing for so long. Yeah. You've got all sorts of tunes, but yeah, I guess you never forget what tunes you know. Or if you do, somebody else will remember, right? Yeah. With uh, with um, Stomp Rocket, um, with Glenn Loper and Bethany Wakeman, that, that's a newer uh, configuration. Um, so we do have uh, a set list. We have kind of a list of tunes that we that we work off of. Um, so I, I think both approaches are, are fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, but it's also good to go outside your set list from time to time. And, and, uh, um, you know, some, some evening, um, some tune just might come to one of us and, and then we'll say, Hey, how about this? Do you know that one? And, and if, uh, and if everybody does, then, you know, then we'll try it out. What if everybody doesn't? <laughs> do you do it anyway sometimes? No, probably not. No. <laughs> you know, unless, unless I mean, everybody's got to feel comfortable, right? Everybody's right, gotta... unless somebody's game for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess with with either of these fans, you have to have enough tunes on your set list to probably get through a dance weekend, or, you know, it's probably a decent size set list if you play a lot of dance weekends. Yeah, um, absolutely. And but you can repeat tunes at a weekend too, because at a weekend you're typically doing um, a couple evening dances and then maybe uh, workshops during during the days. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, uh, like we wouldn't do a ton of repeating of tunes, but um, you know, but but we might repeat one if if you know one or two if. Uh, if, if we couldn't think of anything better <laughs> the second time. Do you think the dancers notice? Do you think they ever notice? I feel like they don't a lot of the time. Um, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of the time they don't, but, but 
some folks would. I mean, some folks mm-hmm. do have favorite tunes, as I'm sure you've you know experienced. Like yeah. somebody will come running up to the stage after you play something, and and they'll just go, "Oh, that's my favorite tune. Thank you so much for playing that." Um, you know, or <laughs> occasionally uh, somebody will come up and say, "You just played my favorite tune, and I wasn't dancing. Can you play it again oh. this weekend? You know, <laughs> and let me know so that I can make sure that I've got a partner." And uh, and and we'll say sure, yeah, we'll do that. You know, because it's you know, why not? <laughs> yeah, and I, I there are a lot of dancers who listen to CDs of contra dance music or other kinds of fiddle music. They know the names of the tunes. A lot of them are musicians. Yeah, you know, but then there's dancers who don't know anything about the music. Like when I started contra dancing, I knew nothing about the music. I didn't know the difference between a jig or reel or anything like that, and. It's great that you don't have to know the music. And I feel like in that case, people recognize like grooves and arrangement treatments. Like if you always play a tune with a halftime groove, they would notice if you repeat it because the groove would be the same. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm a nerd about tunes. I love collecting them and having Mm -hmm. a giant list of them. So I love not repeating things that it's almost like a challenge to me to see how Mm. long, like, can you get through a week long camp and not repeat anything? Ah. But it is fun to take a tune that you always say there's a tune that you've worked up this cool, sexy arrangement for with a riff or some big powerful thing and then repeat it later on, but without the whole arrangement and all the underpinnings and just let it be itself and like bring out another aspect of the tune. That's really fun because sometimes tunes in, in arranged bands can get pigeonholed into one thing. And sure. a lot of these tunes, they have different sides of themselves that they want to reveal <laughs> from time to time. Very true. Yes. I think what one thing about um, I've noticed that beginning dancers, um, I think, have a hard time really hearing the music because they're learning to do the dance, right? So mm-hmm. it, it's almost like you can either listen to the caller or listen to the music. <laughs> and and um, uh, um, and I've a number of people have you know talked to me about uh, about you know, kind of making that transition from a beginning dancer to a maybe a uh, you know sort of a, a more moderate you know a, an intermediate dancer, let's say, and. And then all of a sudden realizing, oh my goodness, there's this band up there and they're playing live music and it's really good. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and then getting like listening to the music too much and then sort of like missing the cues in the dance because they're, you know, because they're, they're listening to the music so hard. Um, so uh, it's, it's kind of a fun, funny dynamic. Yeah. You start noticing more details. Man, I remember when I was a new dancer, I mostly learned to dance at the Monday Yankee Ingenuity dance at the Scout House in Concord. And then also at the Thursday VFW dance. But I just remember every week at the Monday dance, just I was so lost as a dancer. I was just trying to latch on to Kate Barnes's left hand, like the bass lines and the piano and Cal Howard like on bass, that is what I latched onto as a dancer, like the bass outlining the chords and just laying it all out cyclically, you know, mm-hmm. every time through the tune. I couldn't keep track of a reel. There are too many notes. It all sounded <laughs> like you, it sounded reels to me in the beginning sounded like you put a bunch of notes in a blender, <laughs> you know, 
couldn't follow him that fast. Now, of course, it's like after a while, your brain learns to understand the patterns. It's like learning a language. And once yeah. you speak it, it all makes sense. But in the beginning, yeah. it didn't. Well, it's interesting to me, though, that because you're a musician, you're coming at it, you know, as a musician with with like musical knowledge and sensibility. And it was still hard for you to 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 take it all in. Right. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. If you were playing for do you play for like family dances or beginner dances or weddings or things like that? Absolutely. Um, yeah. If you're playing for those kind of events, what do you do differently? Um, well, I, I think for, for family dances, it's, it's all just pretty simple, right? You just keep it really, really simple and really accessible. Um, I, uh, um, for about 10 years, probably the decade of, of the two thousands, um, I played a lot at, uh, camp at Ogot's camp in, mm. uh, in Northern New Hampshire. Um, where CDSS was running family weeks. So for, I think the first one was in 1999 and then they ran uh, one week a year for maybe, maybe three or four years. And then they started added, it was a big demand for, for family programs. And they added a second week and they did two weeks for uh, maybe, maybe another five or six years. And, and then, um, and then I don't, I don't know, like this big group of kids, you know, <laughs> got older or something, and the, mm-hmm. the the demand for family programs started falling off again. Um, but I so I did one or two of those family weeks every summer for for probably ten years, <clears throat> including uh, program directing three of those years um, with my wife Anne, and oh, um, and that was uh, that was a blast. So we we got to sort of run the show. We got to hire the staff and and uh and put the week together and and then uh you know once uh once everybody got there we sort of we sort of you know ran the show and made made sure everything went smoothly and solved any problems um and that was it was really 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 wonderful um that was uh those family weeks are are so incredibly special and uh um and probably my favorite thing about them is watching the different ages of kids interact with each other because the older kids mm. start to get a little bit, you know, kind of they start to take care of the younger ones and sort of, you know, try to make everything OK for them. And um, and uh, it's just so, so cool to watch. And, you know, so, so it's a uh, it's uh, those family weeks are always very uh you know, big emotions, right? <laughs> Just seeing all, all the amazing things that, that go on and, and, you know, how the kids do in, in that environment. Hmm. So many fun times. There's, I've never been to Ogon's camp, but I've heard so many great things about it. And people just talk about it as this beloved thing. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's very beautiful. It's a very be- beautiful part of, of New Hampshire this kind of very picturesque uh little lake and and um you know very little else around besides besides just the camp and what a cool experience as a kid to get to go to a dance camp like that with your family at least i think maybe some kids are like oh to go to dance camp with my family and it's like the least cool thing in the world to them 
I, but I feel like some like some friends I know who grew up in the folk scene think it's uncool, but then they reach an age where it's cool again. And as an adult, they're like really glad they did it. Yep. Yep. I know what you mean. Did you ever go to Nefa with your parents? No. No. I so never you did. went there in utero. Yes. Never... <laughs> exactly. But <laughs> never again. And in fact, I think, you know, my my parents had really stopped dancing um, aside from those, those few dances uh, that I was talking about that we went to when we were kids in somebody's house, but, um, but they weren't going to regular dances. Um, and once I got into college and I started doing more dancing, um, I brought my dad to a, uh, a New Year's Eve dawn dance and, uh, uh-huh. and he danced all night. And he drove home. <laughs> wow! And he was he was uh, he was unstoppable. And yeah, um, uh, and and uh, and then and that kind of got them back into it. And and they did quite a bit of dancing um, after that. And uh, and my my dad is still uh, he, he's going to dances um, today in in Connecticut. You know, uh, right now there's a few dances um, back in business in Connecticut. Um, and he's also, uh, he, he started working on, uh, on the sound gear. So he's, he's kind of the, yeah, yeah he's doing sound for the Hartford dances and, and, uh, and also training other people up on how to do the sound. I totally forgot. I had a, my brain space, but I've met your dad. I met him at Ralph Sweet's Pattern Mill Barn where he go. came and I was playing there and somebody said, someone else in the band was like, that's Dave Langford's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, yep. I think he was helping with the sound or yeah, that's so cool. It's yep. nice that you got him back into it. Yeah, he loves he loves to dance and uh and, and, and really enjoys doing the sound work as well.
So um, how often do you play rhythm for contra dances? Like we could switch and talk about guitar a little bit. I'm looking for our listeners. Dave's in this lovely room that has two guitars and a fiddle in it. <laughs> um, um, so so uh, I, I haven't played tons of guitar. So uh, at the average Latter-day Lizards weekend, I might play guitar um, two or three times for, for specific mm -hmm. numbers that I play guitar on. Um, but uh, in recently, uh, well, before <laughs> pre-pandemic, um, I started doing some gigs with Sam Bartlett and Eric Shedler. So they're super trad. Super trad is their duo, and then they have super trad with guests. So I've been a a, a guest of super trad, and we've done may, maybe you know some four or five dance weekends or something like that. Um, and so working with them, I was playing about a, a third of the evening on guitar, and that was really mm -hmm. super fun for me. I really enjoyed that. Um, so those guys both play a bunch of different instruments and so we can we we can all trade around a lot uh on 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 different instruments and it gave me more of a chance to play guitar than i usually do and um the other thing about guitar is that i've been uh really focused on guitar during the pandemic i've been playing less fiddle and mm. and playing more guitar what kind of things do you play when you're by yourself uh so I think uh, I'm currently playing a lot. Um, Time will end. Jeremiah McLean oh. tune. Oh, um, that's such a good tune. <laughs> um, this part of the world, beautiful Rachel Bell waltz. Um, uh, Tom Kruskals, which is... Uh, um, a beautiful well it's a, a tune that is used a lot for english dances yeah emily troll and amelia mason exactly yeah. and uh so that's really fun to play um this is a lot of f tunes <laughs> <laughs> do you like playing f tunes oh i see your capo actually one two three your capo to the fifth fret well, that's that, on that guitar behind you yeah that guitar isn't standard but uh oh okay so. um and um I made up uh, a few tunes um, on guitar, so that's that's been fun too. Um, and I, I've also been sort of I've been working on both in Dad Get and in Standard, just playing melodies for for more tunes. You know, sort of the flat picking. Um, mm -hmm. So I could uh, I could play a tune I made up if you like. Ooh, I'd love to hear that. So, so this guitar is in standard. Uh, this is called Running the Rich. Thank you. 
is a sweet tune. Thank you. And it just sounds so beautiful. Like that that guitar is a really nice tone. Yeah, that's a Martin Triple O sixteen. Yeah. Have you had that guitar for a long time? Yes. Uh, probably, probably like twenty five years or something like that. It sounds like an old friend when you play it. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. That's something we don't get to. Now I want to just hear you play guitar all the time. Forget <laughs> fiddles. <laughs> I love your fiddling, you know, but it dances. We usually only get to hear like one aspect of somebody's musicality. And then there's all these fun things about people that we don't get to hear. Now I just, will you play guitar for us for like another hour? We'll have like <laughs> Contrapulse uh, bonus edition. <laughs> Well, I could break out my my other guitar, which is uh, which is my new guitar. It's a Martin OM forty five. Yeah, is that one in dead good? Uh, that one is in dead good. Yeah. I've always kind of wanted a uh, kind of a fancy guitar. this um, from the Music Emporium in Lexington in January, mm. and it arrived in Fun July. It's, uh, yep. Um, anyway. Beautiful blonde guitar with some inlays around the outside. So it's Brazilian rosewood, um, uh, also, uh, sorry, Mexican rosewood, also called Cocobola, and, um, and then Koa wood binding sort of koa around the edges and um and a and a koa strip in the back which is uh, oh that's beautiful this is this part of the world by rachel bill
Beautiful. Thank you. Lovely tune. Well played. I felt moved. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like you get that feeling of like, oh, that is just what I needed. And I didn't even know I needed that. And that was so great. It made me feel so nice. And that's one of the things I love about concert dancing, right? It's like, you're like, oh, I'll go dancing. And then you get there and you're like, that is just what I needed, right? And you don't even know. Yeah. And a lot of us miss that feeling so much, um, you know, because it's been like two years now, almost, almost yeah. two years, not quite, yeah. but a year and a half. Yeah. Um, thank you for that moment. More than welcome. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Rachel Bell has a tune book um, named after that tune. It sounds like this. Exactly. Right. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. A lot of great tunes on there. It's, it's neat that, during this time when you haven't been playing for dances, you've been like just kind of exploring these dance tunes and, you know, or or other tunes by composers who write dance tunes and playing yeah. them on the guitar and just having quiet time with them. Yeah. I, when, when all the dancing stopped <laughs> uh, a year ago, March, I, I felt for a while, like what was the point of getting the fiddle out? I don't know. I didn't, um, I think, uh, you know, I was sad about it and, and, uh, um, you know, all, like dozens and dozens of things that were on the calendar all of a sudden were dropping off <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, uh, so I just kind of focused on the guitar for a while and that was a, that was a good thing to do. I'm, I've been getting back to fiddle some and, and, uh, done a few gigs recently, um, uh, which was two weddings in Vermont this fall, interestingly enough. Oh, cool. And both of them were uh, kind of very remote areas of Vermont at the end of ends of dirt roads at farmhouses. <laughs> 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 and, uh, um, uh, you know, but and small crowds of people and, you know, uh, very well ventilated barns and um, and it all felt, you know, pretty. Um, pretty safe and it was it was really really wonderful to um to uh to kind of to to play for dancing again it was a really it was really amazing yeah yeah i can only imagine oh, you know it's it's coming back in trickles some people feel ready and some people feel not ready and both from the musicians and the organizers and the dancers you know yeah yeah it's coming back but yeah. we still have a little ways to go before it would feel like you know full on go without thinking about it yeah kind of thing yeah. so it's like it's like you know you some people i talk to aren't playing music at all other people are playing music a little differently and so it's good that you still have that connection Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I totally lost my train of thought now. I just love the sound <laughs> of that guitar. You hypnotized me and I forgot how to talk. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Couldn't have been important. <laughs> um, where do, what do you think is going to happen like with music in the future in terms of tunes, like, you know, like all these new tunes coming along, do you like to learn new tunes? Where do you get tunes from? 
Um, <clears throat> I I do like to learn new tunes, and I th I think uh, a lot of the you know the new tunes come from people that are that are creating them. Um, some of my favorite tunes uh, in recent years are you know are newly composed um, mm -hmm. tunes like William Blake's Dead by Rodney Miller, um, uh, like De Lounge Bar is another one <laughs> that, uh -huh. that, that that I really like. Um, uh, um, Jeremiah has a, Jeremiah McLean has a, uh, a fairly newish tune called April and Joe's that I really enjoy. It's an A tune. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, just, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I feel, uh, I did do a, a couple of, um, weeks at Pinewoods this summer, kind of in the, in the lull you know, mm. <laughs> between, uh, between July and August when things were feeling a little safer for a while. Um, and CDSS ran a program, some programs at Pinewoods and, and, the the CDS Boston ran the July 4th weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, uh, there was a kind of a, a, a mix of, of, uh, kind of musical veterans like me, and uh, and younger players and um, and I just I uh, you know I love um, the younger players are they're fantastic musicians and fantastic people and um, and I don't know where you know where they're going to take this music but it's it's going to be somewhere good I think mm -hmm. so that's so cool you write tunes from time to time um, what's your process like do they just sort of come out do you yes plan exactly to that's exactly what happens yeah i don't i i've never sat down to write a tune um uh, one of them uh, called billy in the Rearview, i wrote <laughs> when uh, i was actually at ogon's camp and i was having some trouble with my sound with the it was either my pickup or it was there was something that was going wrong um with the system or I, I don't quite remember, but the, whoever was doing sound there um, knew that I was having trouble and said, Dave, let's just go over to the hall and sit down and, and, uh, and you play some stuff and I'm going to try to troubleshoot what's going on with your, you know, with, with this gear. And um, so <laughs> while I was sitting there and, and he was troubleshooting, I just started noodling and that tune Billy in the rear view came out. <laughs> That's a fun tune. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, it's um, also the same with that tune that I just played, Run, Running the Ridge, um, that, you know, that came out after I'd been doing a lot of different flat picking, working on different, a lot of different flat picking tunes. And, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, um, and I don't remember exactly how, but I just started playing it. You know, and I played the A part and I thought, well, that's nice. <laughs> and then uh, uh -huh. and then and then I thought, well, what would a B part sound like to that? And then, you know, and, and again, it just kind of it just kind of popped out kind of it, it, it's almost more like like the tune reveals itself to you as opposed to that you're creating something, you know, that at least mm -hmm. for for me. And then you just have to hope that it's not a tune that anybody's already written. <laughs> you're just remembering. Right. <laughs> yeah it's like 
by playing, like by working on, say, flat picking, your hands are like absorbing all these patterns yeah. from all these different tunes, right? And yeah. your brain is soaking in the sound of all these things. And then they get rearranged and they get filtered through you and then they come out in some new way, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Or it's a tune that already exists, which we've also all done. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody said, like, oh, oh those patterns uh, yeah. filtered through my hands a little too unchanged from how they went in there. <laughs> <laughs> so how about a band like, you know, I remember the days of Big Bandemonium mm. back in the day. So what mm. was it like working in a, you know, this is a band with like horns and <clears throat> lots of people on stage and a yeah. more arranged sound. and Yeah. I just remember hearing that band, like a, the Greenfield at the Guiding Star Grange, just the wall of sound, yes. the, the energy. What was that like? Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Um, and I would say the most phenomenal thing about it was watching how people danced to the big band Ammonium. Because hmm. um, so we had one medley, which was starting with a, a D minor jig and maybe just three times through this you know, pretty standard, nice D minor Irish jig. And then, uh, and people are dancing, you know, like the way they rate, they normally dance. And then we went into, I found a new baby, the swing tune with this massive full horn arrangement <laughs> and uh, all these harmonies and, and, uh, and the whole band just like shifts into high gear and, and people kind of, almost jump out of their skin it, it was um it was really it was really just amazing to watch like they, they they just their whole their you know the way they held their bodies changed and the way they interacted changed and and uh and it it was uh it was an incredible incredible thing i um the big manimonium did go to portland oregon one year and oh, cool. uh, kim appleberry who uh runs that weekend um, sent me a, a, a clip pretty recently that I had never seen before of, of the bandemonium in, uh, in Portland. And uh, so I'll, I'll share it with you, Julie, and you can, you can post it along with this and people can take a look at it. Um, yeah, that'd be so fun. Yeah. Um, but the, the bandemonium was, uh, was fantastic. It was really one thing about it was that uh, when we started, there were three fiddles, which was Van Kaner and Becky Tracy and me. Um, and mm -hmm. playing in, in a band with two other fiddle players was just a gas. It was just so much fun. <laughs> and and uh, and when and we did make a recording called The Big Bang. And and when we when we made that recording, we got to, to sort of like work out all these really nice three part harmonies and, um, and just had such a such a really fun time um together doing that and then uh and then lisa brown who's who's basically who's the band leader um and mm -hmm. did many of the arrangements uh um what is is you know is an amazing player but also an amazing arranger and uh and created these you know s s some of the arrangements were for were more, more like swing tunes, but some of them were, you know, just for fiddle tunes. Um, actually, she did do an arrangement for um, for Billy in the rear view, uh, which was fantastic. Mm. And um, so it, it was, uh, you know, that the the the, uh, the the kind of the power of that band was was so uh, was so uh, remarkable and incredible. 
It's really, really fun to be part of. Who did you have as the rhythm section? Uh, so at the beginning, I think Keith was, Keith Murphy was part of the rhythm session. Um, and, um, and I think Corey DeMario uh, played bass and Kate Barnes played piano. Uh, and then I think at some point, um, Keith and Becky got too busy. So Van and I stayed uh, just as two fiddles. Um, so mm -hmm. we didn't get another fiddle player. Uh, and I think at that point, Ann Percival joined and, mm. um, and, uh, um, and it, it had a bit of a different sound, but it was, it was, it was really good. The, uh, Ann was part of the, the, the Portland, Oregon bandemonium. Um, and I think, mm -hmm. um, Mark Hellenberg Pokey was, uh, was on that date too. Um, and so I think that might have been the only bandemonium that we had drums for. <laughs> and and um, oh so my gosh, it was it was really uh, it was really amazing. Oh, it's over the top. There's just nothing like it, you know. Hmm. All these different things you can contradance to. Um, was there was there like sheet music? Like were the arrangements written out like horn parts and stuff? Yes, yeah. So the the horn yeah. players all had all had books, and they played right from the books. Yeah. And then yeah. for, you know, some of the tunes, um, the, uh, you know, the, the fiddle players had sheet music. Some of them we, we, we didn't, some of them we didn't need it. Um, but it yeah. was a bunch of it was reading for sure. <clears throat> oh man, just listening to the three of you play triple fiddles. I remember that lineup back when I used to dance to you guys. That was so fun. Because often it's like double fiddle where there's like a melody person and then the other person is either unison or harmony. But the third person is the wild card, right? The third right. person could do anything they want to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, fun moments. Um, well, this has been really great to talk with you and just think about all this stuff. Um, are there any other things you want to talk about? Anything else you want to add while we're here? No, I think we, we, we covered a lot, Julie. Uh, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, um, our, our time here and really appreciate talking to you about, about all of this stuff. Yeah, it's been fun to think about. And I uh, look forward to hearing whatever your secret surprise is that Stomp Rocket has <laughs> planned for us. <laughs> you know, we didn't away. talk about Stomp Rocket a lot. <laughs> Here's the, the epilogue, which is, man, I, I haven't had the chance to hear Stomp Rocket a lot because you guys haven't been around for that long and our paths just haven't crossed because you're mostly at dance weekends and I'm at different dance weekends. But um, Glenn is a fun improviser. Like, you know, I imagine Bethany's holding down the fort on the guitar, mm -hmm. um, but Glenn must be a fun person to play with. What's that dynamic like? Oh, uh, it's fantastic. Um, Glenn uh, uh, manages to put uh, an, an extraordinary amount of energy into the mandolin um, that, yeah. you know, really, really creates um, uh, a really big sound on the mandolin. Um, which is, <clears throat> which is really, you know, just really, really fun to, um, to kind of, uh, you know, combine 
the fiddle and the mandolin when 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 it's just a really you know strong and and uh and powerful mandolin sound um yeah but but we also like to uh you know to listen to each other and to um and to kind of take elements from what each other are doing and you know toss things back and forth and um mm-hmm. it, it's it's a wonderful combination we really have a great time with it you know one of these days i hope to have glenn on contrapulse so he can talk about this himself but you know, when we were talking about that initial question about identity, I kind of think of Glenn as sort of a New England musician as well. Like he plays so many different styles of tunes. He plays Irish or old time. And he plays them all really well. But it's fun to think of the two of you playing together as kind of like you got that New England vibe going on, playing all these different tunes. Yeah, I, I'd be interested to hear what Glenn has to say about that. Yeah, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To be continued. <laughs> yeah. But definitely Stop Rocket uh, as a trio is um is uh it's a it's a very uh it's a very joyful and and uh and very fun combination. I really feel um real fortunate to be working with those guys and and uh and then and hanging out too. <laughs> Yeah, good hang. Oh, man, I can't wait to hear what you guys have cooked up. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been so wonderful. Thanks so much, Julie. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to ContraPulse. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society, and is produced by Ben Williams. Thanks to Great Meadow Music for the use of tunes from the album Old New England by Bob McQuillan, Jane Orzakowski, and Deanna Stiles. Visit contrapulse.cdss.org for more info. Happy dancing!